In 2019, Vinny Eng was gaining notoriety as a star sommelier at Tartine Manufactory. Already, he had a focus on the people who make the things that end up on the table at fine dining establishments. But then he turned to more directly dismantling systemic problems, the kind that lead to crises in public health, housing, and safety. How does he actually advance solutions in a city full of residents who are frustrated with the pace of change? I think part of addressing frustration is conveying the urgency for the need for an organized response. But urgency is one component of it. Secondly, precision in diagnosing the problem. I'm Laura Wenis. This week, Vinnie Eng weighs in on community building and shares his vision of accountability and why he's hopeful about the city's future. From the San Francisco Chronicle's SF Next project, this is Fixing Our City. Vinnie Eng is the director of policy and advocacy for a health equity nonprofit called Safer Together. He's also vocal on police accountability, alternatives to policing, mental health access, and housing. He's lived in the city for 20 years, and... I just, I love the city. I love the people that live in it, and I love the people that make the city beautiful. Eng didn't move here and immediately become an activist. He worked in food and wine. In fact, he was recognized as a star sommelier. <laughs> well, you know, in my heyday, I... I, I <laughs> this I, isn't your heyday? I, no, definitely not. This, oh. is, this feels like retirement. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, you know, I had the great fortune of working in an industry that really found a peak. There are a lot of ways to help a city. For Eng, it's about pushing systems to deliver better solutions. You know, tragedy happened upon my family, and it really created a lot of confusion and anger and redirected a lot of my focus. Do you mind sharing what this tragedy was? Yeah. So I was born in Monterey Park, the son of Cambodian refugees, and my sister Jasmine was one of those refugees, and she had a long many decades battle with post-traumatic stress. And in a moment of crisis, mental health crisis, she was killed by deputies at the L.A. Sheriff's Department. This was over a decade ago. You know, and in in a time of, of deep need, instead of receiving care, she suffered a horrible, horrible ending. And reflecting on that has always really allowed me to frame my approach to life. I think if you talk to anyone that's a survivor of of violence or impacted by violence in any way, they tell you with reflection that, you know, the thing that they want most is to prevent that harm from happening to anyone else. And that sort of became my drumbeat. You just mentioned that you were born in Monterey Park and we just had a... You know, another incident of horrible violence that came out of there. Yeah, no, on the evening that the news started to spread that a mass shooting had happened, my parents live, I don't know, like a seven to ten minute walk from that, from one of those dance studios. And the fear that filled my body in that moment is indescribable and yet is increasingly common among neighbors and friends and Americans. And to my great relief, at 1.30 in the morning, I received a text message back from my brother-in-law that everyone was accounted for. But it 
didn't fully release me of all the anxiety that I felt. And I think that's an anxiety that a lot of people feel, particularly parents who have kids who go to school, who are told we're having a mass shooter drill today. Just the exercise of thinking through your response to an event that has a likelihood to happen in your lifetime is traumatic. Is this how we want our children to live? How we want our communities to live? I'm hoping you could talk a little bit about how to address and deal with and like process this fear of violence, the sort of ever presence of it. Yeah, well, I think we have to give room for folks directly impacted by this violence to be confused. It's very confusing. And what I mean by that is that we have a perception of safety and are often told, I think about an elected official who said, you know, Monterey Park is not the type of place where this should happen. What is? Exactly. We are in an era where mass shootings, unfortunately, can happen anywhere. And no one is exclusively protected from the threat of gun violence. And it's not driven by randomness. At the root, this unfettered access to weapons of war makes it really easy for someone who is seeking to do harm to amplify the scale and scope of that harm. The incident in Monterey Park, the incident in Half Moon Bay, independent of the motive of that individual act of violence, we have to think about systemically what's what's really driving the scale and scope of this harm. The lack of investments in domestic violence interventions, when at least 60% of individuals who perpetrate Mass shootings have a history of intimate partner violence or domestic violence on top of the porosity of our borders. So even with the toughest gun laws in California, you may be able to purchase legally semi-automatic weapon in Nevada. It's completely unreasonable for us to put checkpoints on the California-Nevada border. And so that responsibility falls on elected officials at the state and federal level. How do they negotiate a better outcome? while concurrently encouraging and motivating individuals to seek and enact change where they are, demanding better solutions for individuals experiencing conflict at home so that conflict doesn't spill out into the broader community. So the solutions are multifold, and we can't wait for any one person to solve it all. We all have to do our part. What does that look like with problems this big and pervasive and complicated? What does that look like? Where do you start? You start where you are. You volunteer to make sure that your local seniors are not experiencing loneliness, whether that's delivering groceries or calling someone you haven't checked in on in three years. That generates this sort of broader collective awareness that safety is built in community that when we invest in collective solutions, the outcomes benefit all of us. That there are limits to seeking accountability in a criminal legal system. 
What does repair look like for the victims of the shootings in Half Moon Bay and Monterey Park? Not having to stress over the possibility of medical debt. Which is very real from what you've heard. Yeah. I mean, just this week, one of the victims shared with Governor Newsom that they were rushing to get out of the hospital because they were fearful of the bill that they would have from their hospital stay. You know, and so we have to demand better of government systems and encourage the best of each other. Despite being confused, despite being angry, we have to know who to be angry at. And ultimately, a lot of that anger, I think, is justified if you're directing it at systems and probably very rarely ever justified directed at individuals. What systems are you directing your anger at? You know, a lot of my focus right now is thinking about what we've learned in the last three years of COVID response. I've been dismayed by the overemphasis on pharmaceutical interventions to get us out of COVID. Yes, vaccinations are important. Yes, testing is important. Yes, antiviral treatment is important. And everyone deserves improved air quality indoors. I mean... Improving ventilation systems are not variant-specific. We all sacrificed a lot during the COVID pandemic. Let's not pass up the opportunity to acknowledge and build on those sacrifices to create safer spaces for individuals. You know, COVID case rates in San Francisco have consistently shown that the Southeast neighborhoods had the highest infection rates. Why? These neighborhoods also have the highest rates of emergency room visits due to asthma. These neighborhoods have the highest rates of emergency room visits due to chronic pulmonary disease. These neighborhoods have the highest rates of physical and gun violence. These neighborhoods also lack any urgent care facilities. And from an equity perspective, this neighborhood deserves and requires more resources to catch them up to everywhere else in this community. But I think once you start to get engaged, starting where you are, you realize that your ability to affect change is closer than you think. In a city full of residents frustrated at the pace of change, it seems like this is easier said than done, and a recipe for disappointment. Ang says, far from it. He found something positive in organizing work. One revelatory surprise was that, like, the joy that comes from doing this work. You know, like, the satisfaction from knowing that, like, you identified a problem, found people who share values around demanding something better, and then achieving an outcome. And coming together in community and just realizing that like, we have so much more in common than what separates us. And I think that, and all the best things are the things that are done with other people. You know, that we can overcome hardship and create something better and something kinder, and also change systems. (laughs) A sunny outlook is one thing, but I wanted to know, how do you actually get stuff done? I think you have to be precise in your diagnosis. We'll let him expand on that after a quick break. But before we go, a reminder that we want to hear from you. We'd like you to have a voice on this podcast, too. In the next weeks and months, we're going to be interviewing every district supervisor. Got a question for your representative? 
email us at sfnext at sfchronicle.com or tweet at us at sfnext. I've been talking with Vinny Ang, Director of Policy and Advocacy at the health equity nonprofit Safer Together. I just asked him how to actually get stuff done in this city, how to make things work. His first step is making a precise diagnosis. So, case in point. Yeah. In May of this year, or May of last year. How is it 2023? I don't know. (laughs) In May of last year, there was an uncharacteristic and unexpected flare-up in MPOX. And there didn't seem to be any urgency behind addressing the issue. I think part of addressing frustration is conveying the urgency for the need for an organized response from elected officials. And I think we've seen the urgency from community members around homelessness. But urgency is one component of it. Secondly, precision in diagnosing the problem. We have to be precise in asking for a solution to a specific problem. With MPOX, it was very precise. This is a known disease with a known vaccine, a known portfolio of antiviral treatments. And so the LGBTQ community said, hey, HHS, you have the tools. Start deploying them. And we knew from COVID concurrently that the tools wouldn't be deployed equitably. Mm -hmm. So you had community members saying, we require transparency. Who's getting infected? Who's getting vaccinated? And the drumbeat of show me your work. At the peak of the MPOX outbreak, over 60% of infections were in Black and Latino communities. Over 60% of vaccinations were among the white community. And so when policymakers are reflected back, what community members instinctively know about the systems and structures that are inherently inequitable, that is when you as a community member can be very precise and say, we demand better equitable solutions. So it's urgency, it's precision, it's data transparency, and then it's adaptability, which is you learn from what solutions are implemented, and then you adapt that back into your ask. You further refine the precision of what you're asking. And that's what I've found to be most effective. And I think that's the struggle with, you know, it's not enough to say, I'm tired of homelessness. Or I'm tired of crime. Or I'm tired of crime. We have to be very specific. And sometimes the specificity requires that we start small. Homelessness among elders is growing at an alarming rate. Why? Because most elders are on fixed incomes. What are the housing options for individuals in San Francisco for individuals on fixed income? Limited. Increasingly limited because a lot of that fixed income isn't scaled for increases in a meaningful way. We can't solve all of homelessness with one solution, but we can be precise at targeting solutions. We have to be methodical in our information sharing. And that's, I think, ultimately how we get things done. 
You said something earlier that I want to dig into a little bit more about how we have more in common than what divides us. And I think that's particularly evident in San Francisco, but those divisions are still really, really stark and like deep. It's not petty, right? These are the way people disagree about what we should do about homelessness, what we should do about crime, what we should do about public health. They're about like philosophy, morality, identity even. How do you go into those very difficult spaces and find that common ground? I think we all have an impulse to feel safe where we are. And I think, unfortunately, in the age of misinformation, a lot of what we're told divides us is amplified in the way that we get our information, in the way that we look to certain people to tell us how to think and who to think or even who to be mad with. Totally. Things go viral because they push those buttons, especially the fear button. Especially the fear button. And we can't give up on each other, even if we're told to disagree with each other. And I think to your question, I'm not sure I fully agree with your premise that are this deeply divided. I would surmise that we are told that we're deeply divided. And there are certain actors who take advantage and wedge us away from each other. When we choose to park that noise for a moment and look each other in the eye and say like, hey, what is it that you need right now? We don't ever start the conversation by saying, what do you need? We start the conversation with what's upsetting you. Or what do you think? Right? And so we start with the solution first instead of engagement. And I think as neighbors, as fellow San Franciscans, what if we just started by engaging with each other and saying like, hey, is there something that I can do to help you right now? If you get to that point where you find the, the differences, the differences of belief, of you know, opinion, where does it get us to also identify common ground? I, I think in my approach to this work, I often think about outcomes. Mm-hmm. What is the outcome that we both agree on? Yeah. I believe that anyone experiencing homelessness or substance use disorder deserves agency and self-determination as the opening premise of a conversation. A lot of people would disagree with that, I think. I understand. Yeah. And in service of an outcome that those individuals who disagree with that premise might agree that the outcome we all want is for that person to live a independent life, right? So let's talk about what an individual living an independent life might look like and work backwards from there. He says starting with an outcome not backed by consensus won't yield a productive conversation. But even on fraught topics, you can agree on a well-thought-out goal on a specific problem. Then it's just a matter of figuring out how to get there. I wanted to know if there were any city initiatives he could think of that delivered good outcomes that he thought worked really well. Yeah, I mean... The Right to Recover program, which allowed individuals who didn't have access to paid sick leave to receive resources so they could shelter in place and not fear losing wages. The paid sick leave law that was the ballot initiative that established paid sick leave under a public health emergency is so crucial. You know, I think if you have a communicable disease, you should stay home, but you shouldn't worry about losing your job. The initiative to end trans homelessness is admirable and equitable 
and urgently necessary. And I'm glad the city's investing in it. I'm relieved for it, in fact, because we owe it to them. You know, again, you know, the initiatives that establish the opportunity for individuals to not have to worry about their material well-being are the ones we should examine and scale. Anything else you want to say that I didn't give you a chance to talk about? I believe in the promise of the city and the residents that make it so uniquely special. And I think what is being asked of us at this moment is to imagine something better. And I think that if we continue to imagine something better, we can start to build it. That was Vinny Eng, Director of Policy and Advocacy for the health equity organization Safer Together. Fixing Our City is part of the San Francisco Chronicle's SF Next project, where we explore how the city will chart its future and address its biggest challenges. To get in touch, send an email to sfnext at sfchronicle.com. You can also DM us on Twitter. We're at SFNext. I'm Laura Wenis. Next time on Fixing Our City, San Francisco recently relaxed some of the rules governing how and when police can get access to privately operated security camera networks. Will that help stop crime? And doesn't the city have its own cameras? We'll dig into these questions next week. Cynthia Lopez produces and reports for Fixing Our City. Gary Baca is our sound engineer. King Kaufman is the executive producer. Jonathan Krim is the SF Next project editor. Fixing Our City is part of the San Francisco Chronicle's SF Next project, exploring how the city will shape its future and tackle its biggest problems. Read stories by our reporters, check out interactive data breakdowns, and find our podcast archive at sfchronicle.com sfnext. If you have a solution you'd like us to cover or you know about a city that's doing something right, get in touch. Shoot an email to sfnext at sfchronicle.com or find us on Twitter at sfnext.